It's a very big welcome to Now That's What I Call Sport on 98FM. 98FM's Now That's What I Call Sport with Jamie Moore. Hello, good morning. Welcome to another busy edition of Now That's What I Call Sport here on Dublin's 98FM. Things are certainly not slowing down for Christmas. In just a second, we'll be joined by the man who scored Ireland's first ever goal at a World Cup all the way back at Italia 1990. I was only one, but he's going to remind us about that goal against the old enemy England. As soon as it left my boot, I knew it was in. You know when he hit the ball sweet, it rocketed in Peter Shilton's left hand bottom corner. Fantastic memory, you know, when you look back on it. That's the voice of Kevin Sheedy. He'll be long in less than a minute. Leinster head coach Leo Cullen is already getting ready to try and beat Bath again in the Heineken European Champions Cup. That's after last night's big win. When playing the same team again, it's uh, trying to learn the bits from the game and you're obviously reviewing that game against that team and then previewing against the same team. So it's a, a slightly unusual challenge. It's a huge day for a Dublin club, Kilmacud Croaks, in their first Leinster Championship football final for eight years. Their co-manager, Johnny McGee, on the support they'll have come throw in later on. Yeah, there's a huge sense of excitement around the club with the kids underage kids going to the matches and uh, parents and uh, family and friends you know and then it's all about the hockey world cup in india where ireland have unfortunately been knocked out goalkeeper and captain david hart will be putting on a brave face yeah unfortunately uh, bitterly disappointed the way the world cup has ended for us and uh, essentially not getting through to the next round and for our main aim of a quarter final is uh, pretty difficult to take at the minute and we'd also be giving away Leinster tickets just in time for Christmas. 98 FM. Now that's what I call sport. Now it's time to welcome a man who has the unique position of playing for both Liverpool and Everton as well as Hereford United, Newcastle United, Blackpool and of course Ireland. He played for the boys in green at Euro 88 in all the games and in the World Cup in 1990 where he scored our first ever FIFA World Cup goal He's one of many ex-Ireland players helping us celebrate the fact that we'll be hosting four games in Dublin at Euro 2020. Mr. Kevin Sheedy, welcome to 98FM. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Kevin, for having a chat. Now, the Euro's come to Dublin in 2020 and we hosted the draw last weekend. You've been very busy around Dublin promoting the National Football Exhibition, which is open in the Printworks in Dublin Castle from 11am until 7pm today on Sunday it's the last day in Dublin before it moves to other spots around the country in 2019. So, Kevin, what can people expect from the exhibition? Um, well, it's a lot of memorabilia. Um, certainly, the, the, when I was playing, you didn't realise it's not what it is now. Um, I remember the goal I scored against England. Um, I gave my boots to Mick Byrne, the physio, who, who uh, donated them to a charity. Uh, but it's great for the exhibition. Uh, I've donated a lot of my memorabilia to it. And I think it's great for people to be able to, you know, to go and look and see the, the, the blazers we wore in 88 and 90 and, you know, the shirts and ties and, and all the, the football kits. Yeah, I'm sure there's some great stuff as well from 88 and 1990, as you mentioned. Were you one back then to keep jerseys and keep boots? You mentioned about giving the boots from that England game to the kit man, but are you one now for, you know, old photos and caps and old jerseys and, and any type of memorabilia like that? Um, well, fortunately for me, my mum, she kept everything. So when, when I came back after games and different competitions, uh, I gave her all the, the memorabilia, so she kept hold of it. So fortunately, um, you know, I had a lot of, a lot of shirts and, and different things from games. So yeah, so it's, 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 at the time when you play and you're just going on to the next game, it's only when you actually retire and finish from f- football that it's nice to, to get them out and have a look at them. 
Yeah, and when you do have a look at them, maybe with the family or whoever you showed them to, what sort of things do you show them and what sort of memories do they bring up? Because as you mentioned, when you're playing, it's the next game and the next game and, you know, the next session. But now you're retired, you have time to look back and I'm sure you've got some really cool bits and pieces from across your career to remind you of all those great days. Yeah, it's, it's great for my kids because obviously they were too young to, to remember when I, when I was playing and, and playing in the Euros and the World Cup. So it's nice to, to show them the shirts from the games and, and the medals and different things that you, you received as gifts. And, you know, it's uh, yeah, it, it's nice to look back on. What's the best piece of memorabilia that you have, Kevin? Um, certainly from... Um, the World Cup was the, the shirt I wore against England scoring uh, Ireland's first ever goal. So that's a piece of history no one will be able to take away. Um, a winner's medals for the league with Everton, uh, Cup Winners Cup. Uh, so all, all you know, different, different, um, different things. But it was just for, I was just so fortunate and privileged to have played for, for Everton and Ireland in the same era when they were both very successful. Yeah, we'll talk about that 1990 World Cup, Kevin, in just a second. But let's go to Euro 88 first. I wasn't even born. I'm an 89 baby. But that 1-0 win over England, Ray Houghton, who we spoke to on the show a couple of weeks ago, got that goal, our first ever match at a major championships. We drew 1-1 then with the old Soviet Union. And then the last game against Netherlands, a win or a draw would have got us through. But we ended up losing the game 1-0. What sort of things do you remember when you look back on that tournament under Big Jack Charlton? Well, I think it was it was high pressure the first game. Um, obviously, Ray scored that, that great goal. Um, the atmosphere it was baking hot. Um, and when you're growing up as a player, you obviously want to play to the highest level that you can. So to be involved in in the Euros in that time, uh, I remember the second game against Russia. Uh, we should have beaten them. Um, they were a real good team, but on the day we were better than them. And then, as you mentioned, we were six minutes away from from nothing, uh, knocking Holland out of the competition. And when you look at the, the final, Holland and, and Russia. Uh, we're in we're it. Holland uh, obviously won it, but we were very close to 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 beating both of those teams. So I think it gave us the confidence that we could compete with you know some of the best teams and players in the world. Yeah, you know we see now with World Cups and European Championships and big sporting events just how widespread the build up is, and you've got you know the likes of Sky Sports News and the Irish channels and social media now you know a real real factor in the coverage of of all of these big events. But back then in '88, what was the build up like? Because as I mentioned, it was Ireland's first major tournament. So what was the build up like then in comparison to now? When obviously back then it would have been a lot different. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, I mean the um, media attention is 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 is, is much more now. Uh, so I, I don't think we were too pressurised with the, the media. We obviously knew it was a big game playing against England. Uh, Jack, having won the World Cup with England in '66, you could tell there was sort of added pressure on him. Um, but we you know the preparation was great. Um, you know the players. It was like a more of a derby game than than a normal international game because every player knew each other. Um, I played against uh, Gary Stevens, who was the right back. Um, so he knew me inside out. I knew him in, inside out, and I think that went right the way across the the pitch. So it was a, it was always going to be a tight game, which all uh, internationals against England are. Um, but fortunately, we, we came out of it on the right side that day. Yeah, I mentioned to Ray a couple of weeks ago that my uncle was actually at that game, and he said it's the best moment of his life as a football fan as well. And you know, it must have been just an unbelievable feeling to have you know for Ray to score that goal and to beat England in the first ever game as you mentioned the derby atmosphere as well what were those minutes you know immediately after that match like I know you've got to get ready straight away for the next game but just an amazing I'm sure hour afterwards in the changing room when you, when you get time to, to spend it with the players and the staff and go we've just beaten England yeah, I think it's because it's of the, the build-up for the length of time, the build-up for the first game. So to actually go and perform 
and perform as well as we did and, and to beat them on the day, then I think you just sit down after the game and everyone just has a, a bit of a sigh of relief that, you know, that we've, we've, we've played well, we've performed. I think Jack was absolutely delighted because obviously the preparations were, were key with him and to get it right on the day, which he did, then, um, you know, everyone looks back at it. But then, as you say, once, um, you know, the initial uh, enjoyment, then you, you, you thought uh, of focusing on, on the next game against Russia. Yeah, speaking of mixed feelings and mixed emotions, you said they're six minutes away from getting what we needed against Netherlands to qualify out of the group as well. A very high-pressure game. When in the game did you start to realise that we've actually got a chance here and then when they scored to win the game 1-0, your heart must have just been broken? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a cruel game, football. Sometimes you're on the right end of that type, type of result. Unfortunately, on the day, we weren't. Uh, they had a great team, um, you know, Pullets, Van Basten, um, fantastic players, but we more than matched them. And on another day, we could have got the draw or we could have beaten them. So it was a real tight affair. And unfortunately, six minutes from time, there's not really, you know, you obviously try and get the equaliser, but uh, it came, the goal came too late for us. You know, if it had been scored earlier, then we'd have had a bit more of a chance. But, you know, as, as I said before, uh, probably Holland were the best team. Uh, to, in the tournament, but to have run them so close, Russia, as I say, we should have beaten them. So, you know, we proved that we could compete with the, the best teams and best players in the world. You're on there. That's what I call sport on 98FM. It's Jamie Moore here, along with former Ireland star Kevin Sheedy, speaking here on 98FM. Ireland, of course, hosting some games in Euro 2020, and Kevin, along with others, uh, ambassadors for the National Football Exhibition taking place later on today. The print works in Dublin Castle from 11am until 7pm. Kevin, let's move from 88 to the World Cup 1990, Italia 90. Three draws in the group stage got us to the quarterfinals, including a draw against England and a certain Mr. Kay Sheedy scoring Ireland's first ever goal at a World Cup. What do you remember about it? Um, I remember uh, Steve McMahon uh, winning the ball. He tried to play a square pass to Gary Stevens, uh, which I intercepted. Um, my first touch was good. Um, as soon as it left my boot, I knew it was in. Uh, all years of practice and training, you know when he hit the ball sweet and uh, it's rocketed in Peter Shilton's left-hand bottom corner. Uh, fantastic memory, you know, when you look back on it at the time, you just, you know, you're doing your job. But when you look back, you know, to score Aaron's first ever goal in a World Cup is a piece of history no one can take away from me. Um, but it was just, as I said before, with similar to the Euro 88 game, it was a tight affair. Uh, everybody knew everybody and um, you know a draw you know if you get beaten the first game you're always playing catch up so a draw was was a, was a fair result probably on the night and uh, it enabled us to, to qualify and get out of the group Yeah I was just watching the goal back on YouTube this morning the words sweetly struck come to mind once you took that touch to the left of the goal left footer across the keeper you absolutely smashed it in Indeed, yes. And I would say I was I was quite lethal from that sort of distance, uh, both as free kicks and and from open play. So um, you know, as, as I said before, it was just a great feeling. Uh, I don't know what sort of celebration I'd have been able to do, but Steve Thornton grabbed me before I could do anything, so he probably saved my embarrassment. But no, just a fantastic uh, memory, and uh, you know, something I'll always look back on. Yeah, 28 years on, Kevin, as well. And of course, you know, we've been to the World Cup in 2002. We've been to a couple of European championships since as well. But to be the man who has scored our first ever goal at a World Cup and, you know, now you're 28 years on, you're probably talking about it quite a lot as well. But to have that piece of history with you is something that will live with you forever, even though it is quite a long time ago now. And Irish football history has moved on with other great moments and memories. But that's one that will always be there. 
Indeed, yes, and I get reminded of it by uh, by everybody, you know. So it is, as I say, people come up to me, tell me, you know, where they were, what they were doing on that night. So it's it's a it's a special memory for me, and as I say, something that I look back with uh, with fondness. Yeah, and then the group moved on. We drew with Egypt and drew with our old friends Netherlands, who had broken our hearts a couple of years before, and that led to one of the most famous Irish football matches ever: the quarter final or the last sixteen, should I say, against Romania. A 5-4 penalty win. You scored the first penalty and uh, Mr. Packy Bonner was the hero and your video, the goal of England, is very, uh, you know, it's huge hits on YouTube and his save is the same. Indeed, yes. I mean, fantastic save from Packy. I mean, he was he was close to most of the penalties so, um, you know, he saved the best to last but, uh, you know, again, it was a, a high-pressure situation, penalty shootout. Um, I was sort of, I was the penalty taker so I was always going to take the first penalty because I, I didn't want to save it just in case um, we, we were knocked out before that so um, you know it's a long walk from the halfway line uh, but it kept my nerve held my nerve uh, hit the ball as sweet as I could and um, you know say the other lads followed suit uh, Ray Houghton Andy Townsend Cass and then Packy set it up for, for Dave O'Leary and probably you know one of the, the last players probably you'd expect to see step up to take the penalty but Dave kept his nerve I said to him before he went to take it just pick your spot and hit it as clean as you can and um, he did that and, uh, you know, it was, it was a fantastic moment to, to get through. So what are you actually thinking when you're walking up in the World Cup to take the first penalty for Ireland, knowing, obviously, that you're one of our main attacking players and you need to score? Can you think back to then? I mean, you're actually making the walk. What's in your head? Um, you think you don't miss, but you, your thought process is, is where, where you're going to put the ball. And my thought process was the keeper's got to dive He's got to move. He's not just going to stand there. So I was just going to hit it as hard as I could and as hard as I could in, into the net. Um, we've got about fifteen to 20,000 Irish supporters behind the goal. Uh, I had my mum and dad up in the stand. So it's, uh, you're not going to miss for them. So, uh, you know, as I say, big pressure, but, uh, you know, great relief when, when the ball does hit the back of the net. And as I say, the other lads followed suit. So it was, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was good because it showed the professionalism of the players. And as I said, Packy made that, that great save and, you know, uh, to get us through to the, the quarterfinals. Yeah, like, as I mentioned, the video is just amazing of the save as well. And at that time, had that goal gone in, it would have went to sudden death as well. Had any of you guys spoken to Packy before? I know everybody was very confident that he would save one. He saved the fifth one for Romania to get us through. And again, another historic Irish moment, I'm sure, features in this exhibition as well. But just your thoughts on the lead into that and everybody really hoping he'd make that big save, which he did. Well, we had great, fantastic belief in Packy. He was a great goalkeeper. Um, and he, as I said before, he was getting close to the penalties. So you just knew if he, if he gets the right way on one of them, he'd certainly save it. And, um, you know, the pressure was on um, that the fifth penalty. As there's, there's different sorts of pressures on the penalties. But certainly the, the fifth one for Romania uh, to miss. And then obviously, as I say, Dave stepped up and uh, picked the spot. And uh, it, it was great. You, you felt afterwards, you felt a little bit of sympathy for, for Romania because it's not the way you, you want to get knocked out of the World Cup. Uh, they had a fantastic player, Haji, playing for them. Uh, but certainly, you know, as a professional, uh, you want to win, and, uh, you know, that's what we did. Yeah, and you moved on then to the quarter final against Italy. A 1 0 defeat. Salvador Scalacci got the only goal of the game, I think, seven minutes before half time as well. And we'd gone from the high of, you know, that shootout win and a brilliant football moment to the low of being knocked out of the World Cup at the quarter finals a few days later. Indeed, yes. I mean, it was um, a great atmosphere. There was 80,000 people there. It was absolutely electric. Uh, the host team, 
Uh, I think the, the referee had an Italian shirt on under his shirt. Um, he didn't give us any any decisions on the night. So uh, an entirely uh, four game sometimes that can tip the balance. Um, but as you say, uh, the only the, the chance that fell to, to Scalacci and he was absolutely on fire. Um, so there's only one place that was ending up. But uh, we ran them close. Um, I'd come up against my toughest ever opponent in Burgundy, the right back. It was the first time I'd ever been man marked by an Italian defender. Um, but certainly, you know, as I say, it was a close game. One goal was going to win it either way. And unfortunately, uh, we got beat. But I think, you know, we, we put in a, a real good performance. But uh, you know, sadly, on the night, it, was, uh, it wasn't quite good enough. Talk me through, Kevin, the homecoming, because Irish people generally welcome our sports teams and sports people back to our country when they've done well with great pride and great celebration and the summer of 1990 was no different No, I mean we had a, a great homecoming for the 88 Euros uh, but nothing like the, the 1990 um, there was no phones in those days where you could take photos uh, my last in memory uh, was uh, coming down O'Connell Street and looking back, and someone said there was about two hundred and fifty thousand people there. It was it was unbelievable, you know. It just showed, uh, you know, the impact we've had on the on the country, you know, that, that what they thought and how they enjoyed uh, the overall um, the Italian uh, World Cup experience. So it was it was just, you know, the people were brilliant, and it was just, you know, it, it was it was amazing, you know. It's hard to put into words, you know, what was happening, you know, the amount of people who were out wishing us wishing us well. That's great stuff. That's the voice of former Ireland National Kevin Sheedy speaking to us here on 98FM. One of the ambassadors for the National Football Exhibition which is open for the last day in Dublin today in the Printworks in Dublin Castle from 11pm. 11am should I say to 7pm. Great stuff Kevin. Thanks a million. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Now here's a great prize for you to win on 98FM this morning. Leinster face Connacht in the Guinness Pro 14 on Saturday, December 22nd, just a couple of days before the big red fella arrives to your house. And we've got tickets to give away for you right now. If you'd like to be there, nice and simple, text or WhatsApp the word Leinster, plus your name and where you are, and the number you need is 0877 98 98 98. That's the word Leinster, plus your name and where you are, and text or WhatsApp to 0877 98 98 98. More info at leinsterrugby.ie. Now on the way after the break, we're going to speak about Leinster winning in Europe, Kilmacud's hopes to win the Leinster title and why Ireland's green machine didn't win a game at the Hockey World Cup. 98 FM's Now That's What I Call Sport with the Liverpool Football Club Store, Ilac Centre with exclusive Christmas gifts for every red. Good morning, you're very welcome back. Just after 25 past nine, Sunday in Dublin, Nathan Whelan, hello. Good morning, sir. Where is Marrakesh? Because I wasn't great at geography, but I believe it's an important part of Irish sport this week. Exactly, especially today. It's it's actually situated, as I can get my words out on a Sunday morning, in Morocco, which is very similar weather to here, I presume. Okay, and what is occurring there starting today? Today, the Foot Golf World Cup starts today and ends next Sunday. But as you say, it is in Marrakesh. But we have countries such as Portugal, Uruguay, Belgium, Argentina, Spain, Netherlands, just to name a few, as well as Ireland taking part. And it's a, a hugely professional game, I, I might add. Yeah, 500 players and Ireland will hopefully win us. Have you ever played foot golf? I have once. Okay, are was, you any good? It's a lot harder than it looks that's all I'll say it's extremely hard well would you believe there's a foot golf course in Hoth in Deer Park and uh, I played the first ever game in the foot golf uh, uh, course in Hoth and got the first ever hole in one so I'm wondering why I'm not in Marrakesh currently as the Ireland captain I'm sure I'm, I'm going to have to fact check that before I believe you but um, we'll get back to that now you do have some interesting facts about foot golf and the rules of such including not being a bit drunk while playing that's, that's uh, a bit vital I presume but there is a bit of a loophole it says there's no alcohol 
except in bar zones. So if you stay in a bar zone, you can drink your life away. And we have some other in, uh, interesting information. Any player that's not currently taking part can be a caddy for someone else. Okay, great. Sort of covers all bases, which is good. And does a caddy bring your boots along or...? Um, you I don't think, have clubs. Yeah, but you're, yeah, that's the only thing you have to bring is boots. But one thing that I did notice, which is quite funny, is they're very specific about this. There's no smoking electronic cigarettes on the course. But it doesn't say anything about normal smoking, so I think there's a bit of a loophole there if anyone's listening to Marrakesh. Nice. Well, when we go for a game next weekend, we might uh, test out all of those theories. Exactly, yeah. Now, tell me about Leinster's win last night because they just keep winning. Yes, they do. And they had a hard-fought 17-10 win away at Bath last night in the Champions Cup. The hosts opened the score in early with prop Henry Thomas running through. However, it was Sean Cronin who got Leinster back on terms as he drove over from a line-out. A misplaced pass would lead to the next score as Jordan Lammer intercepted in the middle of the park and ran home to put Leinster ahead. A penalty from Ross Bourne helped secure the win late on for Leo Cullen's men and Leo spoke after the game. Yeah, you know, you, the, I thought that after their draw last week, it, it kind of got the sense that they were under some pressure. And, you know, with the quality that they have in their squad, I think that pressure kind of man- can manifest itself in a very fired up physical performance. Um, and the conditions, when you've got a team plus conditions, it's, it makes very, playing against them very, very difficult. And I you thought know, bats were very strong in terms of uh, in the contact area. So at the breakdown, Francois Lowe and Underhill, those two in particular, um, are very aggressive around the ball. Uh, came up with a couple of big turnovers against us, which disrupts the way we want to play and disrupts our flow. So um, you know, it was hard to manage the game with the conditions. You know, kicking was was difficult. The wind was going across the ground, and you know, it it alternated which way it was seemed to be going. Um, so yeah, it was, it was it was there was a lot of diff- difficult factors out there today. So we're pleased to get a win. Um, it was far from perfect. Um, you know, for now, us now, it's trying to recover well and turn the page and when playing the same team again it's uh, trying to learn the bits from the game and you're obviously reviewing that game against that team and then previewing against the same team so it's a, a slightly unusual challenge and sets up an intriguing one for next week um, absolutely yeah um, you know, we had amazing support here today um, you know, those 1,500, 2,000 Leinster supporters are fantastic and make a lot of noise um, you know, and we're back at the Aviva now next week so um, hopefully we'll have a huge crowd there as well also, man of the match, James Ryan, had this to say. I think first off, we we need, we need to be a bit more physical. Um, too many soakage, or too much soakage. Uh, but in saying that, it was a really tough place to come here today. Uh, and to get to get a win is is uh, satisfying. Describe what it was like out there to play in. Um, ultra-physical, first half especially. Uh, just a lot of moles. You know, we had to make a lot of tackles, hit a lot of rocks. Um, you know, the, the conditions kind of added to that. Um, so yeah, it was pretty tough. Where does it leave you for next week now? Um, you know, another big one next week. Uh, you know, we got we got to win our home games. It's a must win. So um, I mean, it doesn't really change much. Leinster sits second in Pool 1 now, two points behind Toulouse after three games. Elsewhere, Connacht had an impressive 22-10 win over Perpignan. They also sit second in Pool 3 behind Sale Sharks. Ulster beat. Scarlet's 25-24 to secure a bonus point win away on Friday, leaving them second in Pool 4. And Munster are the only province yet to play as they take on Cast later today at Thomond Park, looking to go top of Pool 2. Kick-off there is 1pm and let's hope they can make it four wins from four for the Irish sides. But speaking of big games, hard luck to Dublin and Leinster's ladies football champions Fox Rock Cabin Teeley. They were beaten 113-17 to by Cork's Mourne Abbey in the All-Ireland Ladies Senior Club Championship at Parnell Park.
Now what a massive day for Dublin club Kilmacud Croaks in the Leinster Club Senior Football Championship Final. The game throws in in O'Connor Park in Tullamore at half past one today against Longford's Mullinaglaha. And as I say, it's a half one throw in for Kilmacud in that game. Now we're joined on the line by the co-manager Johnny McGee. Johnny, thank you very much for having a chat with us, former Dublin star as well. Before we speak about the game later on today, just let's look back briefly on the semi-final. You beat Port Leash by three points at Parnell Park a couple of weeks ago, but your goalkeeper, David Nestor, who actually used to work here in 98 FM, saved the late penalty, and he really was one of the heroes of the day, and it'd be hopeful he'll be in top form in Golfy again later on. Yeah, Davey pulled off a great save at the end, um, and, you know, got us into the final. Um, Port Leash are a very good side, uh, posed... Uh, was a lot of questions, um, but uh, I felt you know we were always ahead throughout the game. I felt our response to the to the couple of soft goals we considered that we responded very well, and uh, I think that's just testament to, to this team that they've you know they've gone about their business um, very well, and uh, it was just great you know that uh, we, we we got the win and we go we were. F- Severely tested by Port Leash and they put off the same class to a final. As I mentioned, it's the first Leinster Championship final for the club, Johnny, in eight years, all the way back since 2010, the last time the club were in the final. Four time winners of the competition as well. Just talk me through what it means to everybody and the feelings, I suppose, this morning, given it's your first final in this competition for such a long time. Yeah, look, it's been it's great to be back in a final. Um, now it's probably been far too long. Uh, eight years has been a long time, but um, look, uh, we've looked the lads. We've had a bit of a history in the competition, um, which is great to have. But also, look, it's the lads are looking to create their own little bit of history on. Uh, Sunday, so hopefully, look, um, we'll go about the, getting the job done, and uh, we look forward to it. The lads will, in fairness to them, you know, they're taking every every game as it comes, and look, uh, I suppose the morning, the morning of the game, we'll be looking, the lads will be looking forward to it, and I think it's just to hopefully get the win and look forward to the Christmas then, you know. Johnny, on the other side of things, Mullaglaha, who you're going to play later on today, it's their first ever Leinster Championship final. You guys coming into this game as the massive favourites. What do you know about them and what do you expect from them? Mullaglaha, they're a very good side. They have won the Longford Championship uh, the last three years in a row. And and every year they've progressed uh, in Leinster. Um, you know, they're only beaten by a point. Uh, there last year, um, you know, so against Westmead champions who went, you were, were already beaten then by Moorfields, you know. So look, um, from that point of view, look, they're, they're gonna, they're, they're serious outfit. They're probably a little, a little bit further down the line in, in, in terms of their, their seasoning in relation to their experience in Leinster, whereas like the majority of our team. Uh, 90% of the, of the panel uh, it's their first time in Leinster so look as from that point of view they'll have a little bit more experience over us in that way um, so look yeah looking forward to it um, it's going to be a massive battle you know uh, winter winter football Leinster football you know, the conditions you know over the last couple of weeks is, you know has been pretty diff- has been very soft so look it's a it's a leveller for, for whoever uh, for both teams so yeah look it's uh, looking forward to it and uh, look hopefully we played our full potential. I'm always interested, Johnny, to find out about the views and the roles of the coaches and the managers on, on these big days. And, you know, for you, 
how do you control your emotions on the sideline in the finals, given refereeing decisions, given, you know, everything you have to contend with for your role on the day and also trying to keep calm and making sure that whatever decisions or information that you're shouting onto the pitch, you can do so in a calm manner? Yeah, look, uh, I suppose for myself and Robbie um, and the, the rest of the management team, like Robbie Lee and Shane and Paul Griffin, um, you know, we're, we're very uh, kind of calm on the line. Um, you know, I would have learned over, like, in the early parts of my uh, coaching and managing, you know, that... Um, you know, you need a you need a kind of clear head in the line. You you can't react in the moment of decisions from the referee or or what goes on in the game, like because you're not in control of it. So it's trying to take all the information in from from what we see as a management team and then a bit of information that we will get from from um, the guys that we you know who are looking for, who are in the stand for us as well. So you know you're trying to get a clear picture on what's going on and and like you know try and make the decisions. Uh, uh, the right way instead of you know uh, trying to detach yourself from the emotion of or, or, or the reaction of say a call went your way so yeah look we're, we're kind of pretty measured in how we go about things you know Now it's fair to say that you know we're not going to focus on, on only one player in your team Johnny but Dublin's Paul Mannion has been in really good form for you was in great form in the semi-final and in the county final win recently as well how important will he be for you guys today and if you can keep him at the level he's been at for both the Dubs and for yourselves over the last number of months, he'll be hopeful he can fire you to victory. Paul has had uh, a good year for club and county. Um, you know, uh, he's, he's done a fantastic job. But look, uh, in saying that, like... The lads throughout the team have been very good, you know, from our defence, from our goalkeeper all the way through our defence into our midfield and, and forward line, you know. Um, and at different stages, different fellas have stepped up to the plate, like Davy Nessa pulled off a save last day to, to you know, to, to put us into the final. Um, you know, that's his job. And, you know, Paul Manning kicked well, the 1 6 in the, in, the, in the county final, you know, to, win, to help win the, the county title, you know, the last day also, young Dara Mullen. Score one two to contribute to get us to the final. So look, it's you know it's great that fellas are showing form, but like different fellas have stepped up at different stages throughout the year, and that's what you're looking for. You know, um, yes, it's great with Paul the way he's playing, but like you know, other players have, have contributed as well. So look, you're hoping that we, we we'll have the majority of them contributing on Sunday, and hopefully they'll contribute to getting the win. You know, Johnny McGee. Very finally, we know the Chemical Croaks hurlers lost their final in the same competition as such in the hurling last weekend and it's a big couple of weeks for the club with this final as we said your first Leinster final since 2010 having won the competition four times as well what would it mean to you guys to win and also the importance of the young players in the club both boys and girls being able to look up to you guys and support you later on today at O'Connor Park and Tullamore half one and see their heroes lifting that trophy at around half past three we're looking forward to look to the game um, against Mullinlock and look hopefully getting the win for the club. Um, you know, there's a huge sense of excitement around the club. Um, you know, the, with the kids underage, kids going to the matches and uh, parents and uh, family and friends. You know, so look, it's. It's as equally as important as it is to 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 what to Mullinock, you know. So like for us, 
it's about us going out and, and performing to our full potential. And we performed to our full potential. We're, you know, we're good. We, we're good enough to beat one lot to, you know. But that's easier said than done. So look, fingers crossed. It goes well for us, and hopefully we will have the cup back, and we will be celebrating and look and, and create a, another bit of history. And obviously, look for young our young children in the in the in the club then look, have them looking upon the heroes uh, from Kilmacud and how hopefully they'll aspire to do to achieve fingers crossed what the lads have achieved this year. That is the voice of the Kilmacud Croaks co manager and former Dublin star Johnny McGee speaking to us here on the That's What I Call Sport on Dublin's ninety eight FM out of today's senior football championship Leinster final throw in at O'Connor Park and Tullamore at half past one against Longford side Munaglaha. Johnny thanks a million best of luck. Thanks a million Jamie really appreciate it. Talk soon. Now we've loads more to come on the show. In a moment we're going to be joined by the Irish hockey team's captain and goalkeeper David Hart who stands in goal right and they lash the hockey balls at him Nathan very fast in the goal and he's going to tell us about all of the protective clothing that he wears. At the World Cup in India they gave him his own goalkeeping room at the hotel to mind all his gear. He had that much of it. So he's yeah. going to tell us all about it but uh, he faces balls whacked at him at 183 kilometres an hour. Can you give me three sports where the object ball travels faster than 183 kilometres per hour? Hurling is two kilometres under at 181. Can you give me some that are above us? There's one that's um, in the Basque country. It's Loya Loya, is it? Is this something called like that? You know where they have... Joy Alaya? Joy Alaya, yes. that's the one. That's 302 kilometres an hour. Yeah. That wasn't bad. I didn't even yeah. hear of that one. No, there we go. But can you give me two more? <sighs> I, w- I would have said hurling. I would have thought hurling was up there. Close, yeah. There's, it's it's uh, it's escaping me I'm so golf squash tennis soccer quite obviously soccer soccer yeah what's the top one at a whopping 493 kilometres per hour and this is any sport just a ball travelling towards you it doesn't have to be a ball quickly I have no idea badminton no way the shuttlecock travels at a top speed of 493 kilometres per hour yes there you go I'm going to have to fact check that one. I don't believe that now. David Hart is on the way next on 98. 98 FM's. Now that's what I call sport. With the Liverpool Football Club Store. Ilex Centre. With exclusive Christmas gifts for every red. You're very welcome back to Now That's What I Call Sport on Dublin's 98 FM. It is Jamie Moore here on Sunday. Now to take us to the end of the show, we're going to be joined now by the captain and the goalkeeper, two-time world goalkeeper of the year from the Irish hockey team in India at the Hockey World Cup. David Hart joins me on the line. David, welcome back to 98FM again. How are you? Hiya, Jamie. Thanks for having me on. Now, Dave, thanks a for having a chat. Speaking to us from a very interesting place, which we're going to tell you about in a few minutes' time. Now, Ireland have just been playing in their first Hockey World Cup for 28 years. 1990 was the last time the Green Machine played in the World Cup. And a really interesting week for them. Unfortunately, knocked out didn't make the crossover or the knockout stages. They were beaten 2-1 by the holders Australia in the opening game before a 1-1 draw with China, meaning just a couple of days ago, Ireland played England, knowing a draw on Saturday would have been enough to get them through. But unfortunately, tight game. They were 3-2 down. Ended up taking off David, the goalkeeper, to put on an extra outfielder for the final minutes and lost the game 4-2. So unfortunately, David, a disappointing end to what you'd hope would be a better week. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, bitterly disappointed the way the World Cup has ended for us and uh, essentially not getting through to the next round. And for our main aim of a quarter final is uh, pretty difficult to take at the minute. 
Um, overall, put it up to the world number one side, 2-1, came up short with a victory against the Chinese, which ultimately kind of set us into the last match against England and uh, was a... Uh, a match that could have gone our way as well, but at the end of the day, four-two on the on on the scorecards, and unfortunately, the uh, World Cup dream is over for us. So that's fascinating, David. That because the game was so tight, you guys needed a score. Had you made it three-three, you would have qualified. But you ended up losing four-two. But the manager Alexander Cox took you off in the final minutes to put on an extra outfield player, but he was wearing a similar colour jersey to you and he could do some of the things a goalkeeper could do and it's it's something that's very common in hockey but not overly common in other sports. So just explain to us exactly what happened and your own views then on the sideline when, when really you'd gone from being in goal to having no control over the outcome in the final moments of that game. Uh, listen, it's, it's never nice looking from the side, to be honest, at the end of the day part of this uh, fantastic team and anything that we could do to try and push forward to get that equaliser was something that I was, I was happy to do and be involved in but it's an awful lot harder looking on from the side knowing that you're completely helpless and have no ability to, to shape the outcome of the game. That tactic is uh, known as kicking back where you substitute your goalkeeper off and put a, a player on with a similar coloured shirt as the keeper and they have all the rights basically to a to being a goalkeeper inside the circle so they can dive, use their feet, their body to block shots, intercept, slides, whatever they need to do and won't get penalised like a normal field player. And it, ha- it happens more often when uh, teams are usually tracing a result or looking to get extra goals and that's what we decided to do. Unfortunately, it didn't pay off for us. We had certain opportunities, circle penetrations, um, just unfortunate no outcomes at the end of the day and that kind of summed up our tournament um, so close and yet so far. So... Yeah, bitterly disappointed not to get the result. The draw would have been good enough, as you mentioned, against England. Yeah, fascinating stuff with the Irish hockey goalkeeper David Hart here on Dublin's 98FM. Now, on Instagram and on Twitter, David shared a very interesting photo of the goalkeeping room. And he's going to tell us more now. Dave, it's fair to say uh, you have to wear quite a lot of kit to keep yourself safe on the pitch when playing in the World Cup for Ireland. <laughs> yeah, we were we were absolutely delighted as goalkeepers um, to see a designated goalkeeping room for the amount of equipment that obviously each individual goalkeeper or two goalkeepers in each team has, and your own personalised lockers and your your name above it and your big photo behind you. That was a bit actually off-putting. Every time you walked into the room, you had all these massive posters of keepers staring at you. But besides from the smell of there at times, it was uh, the whole tournament how it was set up and organised was it was was truly amazing. The spectacle spectacular opening ceremony I think which cost them around 13 million US dollars just to give you an idea how all out they went uh, famous Bollywood stars shows acting it almost felt like a smaller scale of, of an opening of an Olympic Games it truly was uh, was amazing and the new stadium that they have which uh, hosts 15,000 uh, spectators Everything you could have asked for, the the event was was run like clockwork, and uh, it's just bitterly disappointing. I keep saying disappointing because that's really what it is uh, to be heading home on this uh, early scale once again. Um, but for us as goalkeepers, the amount of kit that we have to wear, uh, yeah, it gets quite hot under the collar at times, especially in countries like this. Of course, from the top down, you have yourself uh, a helmet. Then uh, for your chest and your arms, you have a chest protector, um, elbow guards. 
then on your hands you'd have a left glove and a right glove and in the right glove you're also holding onto your stick as you go further down you've got your groin protector um, you've got your padded shorts and then you have a little cover shorts that go up over them just to protect them from the wear and tear of the astroturf pitches um, making your way down you've got your leg guards and then your kickers at the bottom of your feet so an awful amount of stuff to wear as well as your, your goalkeeping top just to, to add a bit of extra weight when you're, when you're sweating it out Yes, the goalkeeping room for the Irish hockey goalkeepers and all the goalkeepers at the Hockey World Cup. You're on there, that's what I call sport at 98 FM with Jamie Moore on Sunday. Speaking of the Irish hockey captain and goalkeeper David Hart after their exit from their first World Cup in 28 years. Now Dave, I know so much ever went into raising the money to be there and getting there, qualifying and I know you'd hope to do better but what are your feelings overall You know, a few days after that English defeat now when you can look back and, and you can say, well, listen, we've qualified for our first ever World Cup but We'd hope to do better. Anytime getting an opportunity to represent your country is special, but to, to do so on such a stage, the World Cup, not been there in 28 years, it's bittersweet kind of to hear, you know, oh yeah, but you did so great to get there. That's that's certainly not what we're about. Um, we came over here to try and really climb in the world rankings, gain valuable ranking points, uh, show what we can do on the world stage as we've been doing over the last number of years and it's just disappointing um, there's no, not really much else to say you know, God wrenching the fact that coming away, leaving the World Cup before we had ever imagined that we would and uh, yeah, it's 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 no excuses to be thrown out whatsoever it's all our own doing it goes within our, our capabilities and within our own hands and uh, yeah, to, to, to head home uh, just after the pool phase is something we're going to obviously have to analyse and reflect on and then uh, see what we can do moving forward towards a busy 2019 for Tokyo Olympic qualification. I know as well you've spoken a lot about the support from home and you know you nearly didn't make this World Cup due to an injury as well and I think it was about 30 kind of Irish fans there for all the games of course in India so it's not exactly on our doorstep as well and, and lots of support here at home. The games were live on, on TV and you know if we looked at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well, lots of well wishes from the Irish sporting community and beyond as well. So to be able to walk out to play in the World Cup, listen to the Irish national anthem with your own close family there as well, must have been a very nice moment for you. Yeah, the, the support we received was absolutely phenomenal, not only just from back home and the hockey community and the wider community after the, the success during the summer of the of the women's side, you know, the actual growth and interest in, in hockey as a sport has increased, you know, to no end and long may that continue. But to, to look up and see a little pocket of about 30, 35 uh, supporters all the way from Ireland coming over was something really special. I was lucky enough, along with my twin brother, Connor to have my, my mum and my dad and uh, my fiancé over. So that was really special to look up to the stands. After the national anthem's just been played, you're about to go and represent your country in a World Cup game to give it at all and to to do it for those kind of people and that was certainly an extra dimension that was uh, added to the game knowing that you're that those um, people have been with you from the start and traveled halfway around the world just to be there to to witness that i think from my side of things about three weeks ago four weeks ago when i was told that i might not be able to even uh, participate in the world cup due to a misdiagnosed uh, breaking my fibula in a training camp uh, in a match over in Valencia at a Four Nations tournament to uh, eventually arriving home to Holland to get a second opinion. 
and to be told that you have a lifeline that you actually don't have a break um for me it was a an emotional time just to be able to to look up to those stands and to thank the supporters and uh, to be surrounded by the teammates that I didn't imagine that I'd be walking out myself um on the on the World Cup stage so I was absolutely uh, delighted to be there what happens next now, David? Of course, it's another busy year and not too much time to feel sorry for yourselves. Of course, we've got the Tokyo Olympic Games coming up next year, which hopefully Ireland will be playing in European Championships as well. And a little break for Christmas before getting straight back at it. It is difficult to not look too far ahead into the future, but ultimately when you're planning for any elite sport, you're, you're looking towards a four-year cycle, like an Olympic cycle and a World Cup cycle. Um, but thankfully, we have actually... Uh, a nice time to head home to, which is Christmas, get back to family, friends and relatives. Um, unfortunately, won't be sharing the amazing stories of our, our World Cup exploits like we all had planned and hoped for. But uh, ultimately, we'll have to get back to the drawing board, have ourselves a self-evaluation from an individual side of thing and a team side of thing, see where we can improve on going forward. Then come the turn of the year, we'll get back into uh, training. Uh, month by month and within that you'll have certain test matches and after that we'll be gearing up towards our Olympic qualifying event which is in Le Touquet in France in June I believe and that's where we'll have to come in the top two of the top eight there to get into the last round of the Olympic qualification uh, event which will culminate in a head-to-head battle against another uh, top nation in the world and the best of uh, two matches, winner takes all and then qualify for the Olympic Games. Then following that, we're not done yet. Uh, Busy enough summer ahead, we'll be participating in the European Championships in uh, Belgium at the end of August. So we'll be uh, certainly kept busy. And uh, after that, as I said, the uh, final head-to-head matches will be taking place in in and around October. But in between that, guys who are playing abroad and semi-professional, professional on the continent will be heading back to Germany, Belgium, Holland, uh, guys back over to England and, of course, those back playing for their clubs in Ireland. So certainly a busy times ahead, so we won't be able to keep the head down for too long. We'll have to pick ourselves back up and uh, get back on it. That is the voice of the Irish hockey goalkeeper, David Hart, speaking to us from India. Now, David, we hoped to speak to you last week, but because of the phone lines and the Wi-Fi problems over there, it just wasn't possible. We've managed to find a, a good spot for us to chat to us today. Tell me exactly where you've been sitting for the last while chatting to us. And again, thanks for your time and the best of luck. Enjoy Christmas and we'll speak to you soon. Listen, Jamie, thanks very much for having me on. really appreciate the, the time to discuss our World Cup and the future plans for the Irish senior men's hockey team. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Coming to you live all the way from a toilet in Bhubaneswar. Yes, David Hart sitting in the Jacks in India, the only place where the Wi-Fi was strong enough to speak to us. So yes, uh, the magic of radio. You thought he was somewhere uh, very, uh, I suppose important but in fact he was in the jacks in the team hotel David Hart thanks a million and thanks to all of our guests for today's show more from all of them in the podcast section at 98fm.com Nathan and Keith behind the scenes do you never pair tickets to go and see Leinster and Connacht in the Pro 14 at the RDS on the 22nd of December is Shane White from Dublin Shane well done we'll be in touch with you tell you to collect those tickets and we'll see you all next Sunday folks have a great day bye 98fm's now that's what I call sport with the Liverpool Football Club Store Ilac Centre with exclusive Christmas gifts for every red 98FM. Now that's what I call sport. Get the full show every Sunday morning from 9, only on 98FM.